Welcome to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. Wherever you're listening from, welcome. We pray that the truth from the Word of God speaks to your heart during today's message. My Bible, if I want to preach the Bible, bring it up here to Brother Josiah. The title of this evening's message is Altering the Altar Call. Altering the Altar Call. Let's open up and get Proverbs 16 and Hebrews chapter 4. Proverbs chapter number 16 and Hebrews chapter number 4. As you're turning there, I want to say this. Motive is everything. What you see isn't always what you see. There is a motive behind everything we do. Motive is important. We want to know why we do something. We want to know why we believe what we believe. And we want to, when we want to know why, we're going to kind of step back and stay away from something. We want to know the why. Now, Proverbs chapter 16, verse number two, the Bible says, All the ways of a man are clean in his own eyes, but the Lord weigheth the spirits. Man, myself included, you included, all of us, sometimes are clueless to our own ways. Ladies, you can attest to this. How many times have you looked at your man and said, he's just cl- he's clueless. What's he doing? We've all done that at times in one way, shape, form, or another. But God, he's not concerned with our ways as much as he is concerned with weighing the spirits. What's the spirit behind what you're doing? We want to look at that tonight. Hebrews chapter four, if you're there, um, the Bible says in verse number 12, for the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul. And there it is. And spirit and of the joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts. And here it is and intents of the heart. We want to have we don't want to be clueless concerning our ways. We want God to test and try our spirit. He is the one that knows the intents of our hearts. That's why this thing, everything surrounding Christianity all comes down to your heart attitude. That's what we have to check. When we're witnessing or we're, we're making an, 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 an invitation to come to Christ or any of that. Have you and I sanctified Christ first in our own hearts? We know we can be on track. Now, this idea of altar calls always comes up and there's an extreme left and there's an extreme right on both sides. But why, why is the modern day altar call? I want to know why the emotional, sentimental, compelling music starts at, oh, just such the right time. I want to know why the tech guy just drops the light right at the time when, why? Why are those things there? Why? Why are you asking me? To close my eyes and bow my head. Why are you doing those things? 
what is your motive? Are you clueless to your ways or have you really come before the Lord and your motive is pure before God? Why do people have a bad taste? I, I was in a church in, in New Jersey. This is going years back, years back. My wife was with me. We were in a church and the guy, I wasn't saved. <laughs> I was close. He gave this thing, you know, if we, with if the music starts playing, you know, and, and then and then the men are in the back, everybody, men move to the back, and then music starts playing, and playing, and then it's bow your head with every eye closed, with every head bowed, just slip your hand up, and I slip my hand up, and when I opened my eyes, there they were. <laughs> I had a life verse. I was saved. And I had a Bible right in my hand. And next, we're going to get led into a room and they're going to make sure that we know the day and the time. And I didn't get saved. <laughs> I didn't know what I was doing. But that preacher got my emotions to a point where, well, yeah, I, I, I guess that's me. I wasn't saved. But I got talked into something that I should not have gotten talked into. And then the phone calls start. Every every week about, you know, you're going to come to church. And, no, I'm not going to come to church. Finally said. I don't know if you're supposed to hang up on churches or not, but I did. I got a bad taste in my mouth because I went through that. Now, I will say this, just because you have a bad taste about something and you've experienced something, that doesn't mean you throw the baby out with the bathwater. There's some middle ground. There's some medium ground that I want us to consider tonight. But we need to be careful. I would say we need to be very, very careful about some of the emotional manipulation that goes on in evangelism, especially what we're talking about tonight. This idea of altar calls. Let's go over to 2 Timothy chapter number 4. 2 Timothy chapter number 4. The Bible says in verse number 1, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. Reprove. Rebuke. Exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Well, golly, Paul's preaching that back way back. It was going on then and it's going on now. People aren't going to endure it. But what's the command? Preach the word. Don't get away from the word. Yeah, well, what if they don't endure it? Preach the word. What if they go after their own lusts? Preach the word. That's the solution. They're going to find a teacher that's going to scratch the itch on their ear. What do you do? Preach the word. You don't look at what all the other preachers are doing. You don't look at all these marketing schemes that they're trying to do to get people in the church and say, oh, I got to do that. 
No, you don't. You got to preach the word. That's our job. Preach the word. Teach the word. It will exhort. It will teach. Amen. Amen, brother. Turn. They're just going to turn from the truth. What do you do? Preach the word. The solution isn't. We, we cannot make this local assembly of believers. That's the church. Right? Assembly of believers. We're called out of the world. We're put into the body of Christ. And then we, then we congregate, we assemble, we gather locally in some type of structure that's a building and the building isn't the church. But we gather, right? We're, gonna, we're not going to make this work into American Christianity where the building is the draw, where the band is the draw. Or the multi-million dollar play center is the draw. All of the lights, all of the staging, all of that is the draw. And people are so Bible illiterate. So Bible illiterate. I mean, we sang joy to the world. People think that's about Jesus being born in a manger. We're so Bible illiterate as Americans it's just tradition after tradition after tradition, which there's nothing wrong with tradition, but when it trumps the Bible, fluff. Oh, I see that hand. Well, bow your head. Come on down. You're the next contestant. We've made it into a game show. One, two, three, repeat after me, ABC, eternal life for thee, pull my finger, do a jumping jack, praise God, you're saved. Come on up, let's introduce Brother brother Joe in front of our congregation. Brother Joe just got saved. No, he didn't. Joe didn't get saved. Joe got talked into something that he didn't want to do. Joe got manipulated. And this goes on and on and on and on ad nauseum all across our nation. We have got to start getting serious about our Bibles and about witnessing to people. Now, let's take a little bit of a step back down history lane. In the 1700s, Charles Finney, uh, the, the, the anxious seat is kind of termed to him. Uh, this was a seat that was put at the front of the church house where someone could come and sit if they needed help or were in a state of anxiety. Why well, be there every week? <laughs> well, these got popular at revival meetings. So during Finney's time, that anxious seat, I'm sure it was a good thing, turned bad. I'm sure it was a good idea, turned bad. Over the years, these things evolve and people spin on them. But what's wrong with Having an area where you can come and just pray and give a I mean, we got prayer benches here. They hardly ever get used. I mean, you'd love to see the right in front of the, the, the bench, the prayer bench there. You'd love to see the carpet worn out there. You'd love to see tear stains in the middle of the. This is 2020. Those days are over. Nobody cries anymore. Nobody begs God anymore. Nobody calls on God anymore. They don't. 
Those days are done. Now, you might have pockets of people doing it in pockets of areas around the country. But by and large, as a nation or as a world or as a culture, forget about it. Not there. Then the mourner's bench. It's usually associated with John Wesley and, and the Methodist Church. And that's where you would go and you would kneel and pray. You would get saved. And if you were saved, you, you could come and get help and come before the Lord. You know, during revival is a great place for the backsliders to come and get right with God and all that. I mean, you know, you get revival meetings. Now, if you're going to give a revival meeting and preach the word, great. But if your intent is to manipulate people in such a way that you try to get them to walk an aisle and come to the altar, that's wrong. It's not of God when you're emotionally manipulating people to get them to jump through hoops. God's not in that. So is there anything wrong with an anxious seat? Is there anything wrong with a mourner's bench? No, it's what man does with it. That's what I'm trying to get to the heart of the matter. In the 19th century, then we started hearing terms like the sinner's prayer, pray a prayer, commit your life to Christ, ask Jesus into your heart, which can't be found in the Bible. Now, should we pray? Yes. Should Jesus be the center? Yes. Should sinners pray and call out to God? Yes. So you see the fine line that I'm trying to toe on. We take things that are true and we make them into something where the result is we just talk someone into doing something that they never wanted to do. And that's the problem. Kids, if I were to tell you, you could have five pieces of candy if. See, your eyes perked up. How many of you would be ready to do the if? course because you're going to get five pieces of candy if you memorize these five verses by sunday you'll get five pieces of candy now, i mean that's good incentive that's good incentive i'm not trying to kill the sunday school by the way i'm just saying we will do things sometimes for the wrong motives If I said, all right, kids over here, I'm going to give you five pieces of candy for every five verses that you memorize. And I said to the kids over here, okay, kids, I want you to memorize five verses by Sunday. Which side's going to get the better result? You see? This is what I'm saying with this manipulation of trying to get souls saved. Look, I give my kids rewards when they do stuff. But we're not dealing with... We're dealing with people's souls. The most precious thing that we can deal with. We ought not take it lightly at all. We never even see the term altar call in printed materials until the 20th century. They started showing up in old holiness and Nazarene literature. Now let's go over to Matthew chapter 10. And I want to say this. Walking the aisle never saved anybody. Someone said, you ask somebody, are they saved? Yeah, I prayed a prayer. That guy's not saved. Praying a prayer doesn't save you. Now, does the Bible say you should call on the Lord? Should you pray and ask God and, and plead with God? Yeah. But this idea of, well, I prayed a prayer, so I'm saved. 
Well, I got baptized, so I'm saved. Well, I walked an aisle, so I'm saved. No, I asked you if you're saved. Well, yeah, I walked an aisle. You're not saved if you walked an aisle. If you ask somebody if they're saved and they tell you, you know, yeah, I, I, I am saved. Um, back when I was in the eighth grade, I trusted Jesus Christ as my savior. I repented of what I was trusting in and I, I just put all my merit in Jesus Christ and I, I just trust what he did for me. And I was in church that day and I ended up walking down the aisle and I, and I came and I prayed and okay, see, see, that's different. That's much different than somebody. When you ask somebody, are you saved? Yeah, I walked an aisle. I'm saved. We tend to get off on these extreme cliffhangers of don't ever ask someone to walk an aisle. Why not? The why not is because we've seen so much junk that we just want to throw everything out. What's the difference if a man walks the aisle, prays down at this bench and pleads with God to get saved? And what's the difference if he sits in the back row in the corner and bows his head and just is repentant before God and just calls out to God right there? You think this guy got more saved than the other guy? Come on. We have to stop it with these little games we try to get people to play and just allow God's spirit to work in their life. So when someone tells you they walked an aisle or they said a prayer, you got to be careful. You got to have them qualify that. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 10, here's where I want you to be in verse number 32. Whosoever shall whosoever, therefore, shall confess me before men. Him will I confess also before my Father, which is in heaven. It's perfectly scriptural and biblical to confess God before men. There's nothing wrong with that. If after a sermon or after a, a camp meeting or after a Bible conference or during a revival meeting or whatever you want to call it or not call it. If someone is publicly wants to confess Jesus Christ, well, let's go, man. Let's have at it. But what I am not going to do and what I don't want us to do is to try to manipulate that person's emotions to do something that they ought not be doing. That's of the devil. That is not a spirit of Christ. We need to let the spirit of Christ rule in their heart. Now, it, 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 the other thing is it quenches any zeal for evangelism. In a local church. If all they got to do is come to church and walk an aisle. Well let's just get them to church. Amen. And so statistically. And who knows if this stat's right. But they they, they say. I don't know. Yeah, I don't even know who they are. But only two to three percent. Of those fake altar calls we were talking about. Those walking an aisle stuff. Only two to three percent were. Genuine conversions. Not only is that staggering, not only is that alarming, it's completely blasphemous to a holy God. And that's on those churches and that preacher's watch. And I don't want it on our watch. What's the problem? Motive is the problem. Deception is the problem. Get Matthew chapter 18. When people are led to believe something that they never wanted to believe it's 
To me, I think of it as being Bible witchcraft, spiritual witchcraft, magic. Bible says, for rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft, and stubbornness is as iniquity and idolatry, because thou hast rejected the word of the Lord. They reject God's word, and now it becomes some deceptive little motive. Ooh, there's a magic building. Ooh, there's a magic man. Ooh, there's a magic aisle. There's a magic prayer bench. There's a magic altar. Say a magic prayer, abracadabra. That's deceptive. That's wrong. It's witchcraft. Deceiving people is wrong. Matthew 18, 6, the Bible says, but whoso shall offend one of these little ones which believe in me, it were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and that he were drowned in the depth of the sea. You get young people involved in this type of deception. This idea, you talk to adults that are in their 20s and 30s and I'm Southern, so I'm saved. I repeated a prayer when I was four or five, six, seven years old, and that man couldn't give you one ounce of I'm a sinner. I was in need of a savior at all. The preacher that led that little boy through that, he's better off going down to the lake, tying a stone around his neck and drowning himself than leading little children astray with false conversion. It's of the devil and it's spiritual witchcraft. Used as the guise of Christianity. I don't want to be a part of it. I don't want us to be a part of it. We want to be careful that we have genuine motives before God. And it's fine to say, I mean, yeah, person gave me a testimony. Sounds like he saved to me. Or, I don't know. I wasn't too sure about his testimony, but I mean, maybe he's saved. Ultimately, we don't know. But isn't it better to err on the side of caution than err on the side of, well, let's just push the thing through. Let's take our time with someone and ask some more questions. Try to get some of the things qualified because we're dealing with their soul. Why we do what we do is important. God commands us all to go. It's not a magic day where everybody comes at Sunday at 11 o'clock and the magic time and hour. The Bible says in Matthew 28, go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Luke 14 says, go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in. that My house may be filled. The Bible says in Mark 16, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. The command is to go. Go out of here and find a lost sinner. Yeah. Now compel them to come into the house and they can learn about God. The saints gather. The saints are edified by the preaching of the word. And praise God, we have a lost man or a lost woman or a lost boy or a lost girl that comes to church. And we want them to get saved at church. The idea of gathering as saints so that we can learn God's word. We can be edified by God's word. The purpose is so we can grow and then we can go out of here and tell the world about Jesus Christ. The world that doesn't want to come in here and hear it. 
We got to go and take it to them. Amen. We can do that if we get our hearts right and our motives pure. Obey God. Listen to God. Trust God. Preach the word. First Corinthians 1 says, For Christ sent me not to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Our job is to preach the gospel. Not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of none effect. Wise words don't do it. The gospel. God used Moses. He was slow of speech. God can use any man, woman, boy, or girl if they would just avail themselves and say, Lord, I am present and I'd like to present myself a living sacrifice to do something for you. The Bible says, for though I preach the gospel, I have nothing to glory of for necessity is laid upon me. Yea, woe is unto me if I preach not the gospel. The command is to preach the gospel. The command is to go. The woe is if we preach not the gospel. Stop looking at problems and trying to fix them based on the world's means. Stop trying to figure out a way to fix something. Stop trying to figure out a way we could be more culturally relevant and make the church appealing to the culture. It won't ever be appealing to the culture. Never. Never. The word of God is going to strike that man's heart and convict that man's heart. And then the lights go on. We can't use the world and the culture to try to win people. We must use the word of God. Finally, if we do use culture, the mindset we create is, I'll just try Jesus out like everything else I've tried out. Rather than, I'm just broken over my sin. Oh, thanks for bringing me this message. I've been struggling my whole life. I never knew. I never knew about Jesus the way you explained it. I never knew. No one ever told me I was lost and on my way to hell. Isn't that much better than, well, yeah, sure. I'll just try Jesus out. People are fine with trying stuff out. Here's a myth. This is the myth in American Christianity. Let's get together and let's go and get somebody saved. No. Let's get together and go get somebody lost. Because until they realize that they are lost, they will never know that they have a need to be saved. Get Matthew chapter 7. Matthew chapter 7. As you turn in there, remember Luke said, For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to be merry. When that prodigal son, that father said, You lost. Matter of fact, when the, when the son left, he had everything. Until it ran out and he had nothing. And he realized he was lost. He had to get lost before he got reconciled. Comes back home. Now there's merriment. Now there's rejoicing. That prodigal had to get lost. People need to know 
and see that they're lost. Matthew 7, verse 15. Matthew 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. Ye shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. You shall know them by their fruits. You can't convince me in a million years that if somebody believes that our creator God can do a supernatural instantaneous miracle and regenerate somebody's soul when they from a repentant heart call out to Jesus Christ. And if you believe that, you can't convince me in a million years that that same God that you believe can instantly and supernaturally save you can't now take your life and have you bear fruit that's actually Christian. You just can't convince me of that. You get saved. You don't give up all of your sins to get saved, number one. And the first reason is because what if you don't give up the sins that you don't know are sins? Did you get saved? What if you forgot to give up some sins that you know are sins that you didn't give up? How are you going to give up the sins that you didn't commit yet? The whole thing falls apart with those three analogies right there. Every single day we should walk in repentance. Not to get resaved. Because, oh, Lord, sorry. I thought I had my mouth under control until that guy cut me off. <laughs> I thought, Lord, I thought until. Right? We need to live a life of repentance. But repentance towards God, we get saved. After we get saved, God, if God works in your life, if he saved your, your soul, there has to be some fruit. Something. Something. You shall know them by their fruit. All right, let's close. Last myth. And then we'll talk about what we do. The myth that it's the preacher's job to get somebody saved. Number one, it's not. Number two, it squashes evangelism. Because all you got to do is just tell someone to come to the camp meeting. All you got to do is invite somebody out to revival. The preacher will take care of you. All you got to do is say, come on out on Sunday. The preacher will take care of you. No, he won't. <laughs> no, he won't. I ask myself sometimes. There's a lot better Bible preachers than me. Believe me. There are a lot more gifted men than I am. That I've sat under and I've listened to. And if they were preaching. You would think the whole town would be saved, but they ain't. It is not about being a good preacher. It isn't. It's about the Holy Spirit of God working in someone's heart. We can't look at the culture. The culture is so far gone. We got to stay with what's true and just pray to God. that hearts would be changed. Isaiah 55 says, so shall my word be that goeth forth out of my mouth 
it shall not return unto me void, but it shall accomplish that which I please. And it shall prosper in the thing whereto I sent it. We want a result. How many saved? God says, is it pleasing to me? Don't worry about it. It won't return void. Sensationalism and all of this manipulation leads people to believe. If someone doesn't walk an aisle, if someone doesn't, we don't have an altar call and someone doesn't come up and get saved. That Well, the sermon really didn't do anything. Well, what good did it do? Nobody got saved. Nobody responded. What if God was well pleased? What if his word went forth? Is that good enough? You know, his word is still working in our hearts. We're still learning. We're still being edified. Conviction is still occurring. And if something breaks out and it looks more emotional than we're used to, let's praise God for it. But we'll be the God. Let's not be a part of trying to manipulate somebody's emotions. That doesn't mean we throw out emotions. Somebody's crying. Someone's penitent, a penitent heart. Minister to that person. Just don't manipulate their emotions. You have to be careful. And again, we want to get someone to qualify what they mean when they say things like, I came forward and I prayed a prayer when I was a little boy. Ask them about repentance. You know what that is? Does that involve? And go from there. All right, so you told us what not to do. What do we do? Invite people. You don't want to tell someone there's a sin, they are a sinner and then not invite them to the Savior. Be sure we're inviting people. So let's alter the altar call. You want to call an altar call? Call an altar call. You want to say the altar's open? Say the altar's open. You want to say when the invitation hymn's playing, then play the invitation hymn. None of that's wrong. But how about we say, I invite you to repent and trust the Savior. How about we say, I invite you to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. How about we say, I'd like to invite you to pray and call out to God. How about we say, I urge you to consider the danger that you're under. The Bible says that you're condemned already because you've not believed. Urge them. How about we urge them to truly think about how are you going to have your sins paid for? How are you going to have your sins forgiven? I don't know. I'd like to invite you to Jesus Christ. Let me show you from the Bible what he did. And I'd like to invite you to Jesus Christ. And then allow that person to deal with God. And allow God to be the mediator rather than you and I. Or like we're talking about the altar car. Well, I'll just bring him to church and let the preacher do it. The preacher ain't going to do it. I mean, I'll try. But it's up to all of us. To show forth the truth of the Bible. Show forth the Savior and then invite them to come to Christ. No emotional manipulation. Thank you for listening to the podcast ministry of Pilgrim Baptist Church. We look forward to seeing you in the next episode. In the meantime, you can sign up for our email newsletter at www.pilgrimbaptist.church.